welcome into episode 49 of the Poke the Bear podcast, the Rich Peverly episode, presented by Bet Online. I'm your host, Connor Ryan, flying solo today as our esteemed MC, Evan Marinovsky, is currently down the Cape enjoying some much needed time off. So this is a solo operation today, uh, going to be a little bit different from our normal show where uh, me and Evan kind of go back and forth going through topics. Um, but, you know, we're still going to focus on some of the, the main issues, uh, some of the emerging trends, I guess you want to say, going into this offseason for the Bruins. Um, namely, I guess, kind of starting off with uh, a familiar offseason narrative you follow along last year in uh, Oliver ekman Lassen and the Bruins' uh, potential interest in the Arizona Coyotes captain. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit. And then kind of rounding up the second half of the show, we're going to focus on a few uh Listener submitted questions that we got uh, through Twitter, which kind of cover the whole gamut of different things. So, again, a little bit of a different show. Hopefully, Evan will have, uh, you know, some nice time off. Go to Sunday school down in uh, the Cape. Shout out Sunday school. Go to the beach, get a tan, and come back, and we're ready to record our podcast as normal uh, going into uh, next week. So, yeah, I guess uh, starting, let's just kind of dive right into it with uh, kind of the the main topic. Again, we're in the the doldrums, I guess you want to say of, of this off season in terms of uh, not a lot of tangible news going on right now. And again, that's not going to be the case until probably the end of July. We're going to have some actual legitimate news to talk about because until we get to, uh, I think it's July 21st with the Seattle expansion draft, you're not going to see a lot, a whole bunch of, you know, crazy movement, you know, even trades, which can happen before that, I don't think you're going to see any team significantly augment their roster until the the Kraken have their pick of all these different players because you're not going to have, you know, let's say the, for the sake of argument, the Bruins trade for a Matias Ekholm or something like that. That's that's all well and good. You could definitely use them, but uh, you don't want to go into a situation where you get a guy like Ekholm and all of a sudden, oh, wow, we now have to lose one of, Grizzlick, right? You know, because it would probably be or, or Kahlo, you know, so uh, until you get to July 21st, it's going to be a whole bunch of uh, more or less sitting around us talking about different subjects, uh, kind of riffing, going through potential scenarios, which are all going to probably play out uh, the end of July going into August. So as such, might as well uh, discuss another topic, which could go in a whole bunch of different directions, which is uh, the Bruins potential interest in Oliver ekman Lawson. Um as I said before, if you guys are familiar with the podcast going into last year, uh, the Bruins and the Canucks were linked to Oliver ekman Lassen for a good chunk of the, of the offseason. Um, it, it was a, definitely a weird scenario where Coyotes, who are kind of stuck in no man's land, right? You don't really know what, what to expect from a team like that. They already are, you know, they've, they've tied up a whole bunch of different contracts. Uh, you don't really see where the light at the end of the tunnel is for that team. They're like behind in, in paying off their, their payments for their own arena, which is not usually a, a good sign that the franchise is, uh, is doing too well. So that's a team that at the very least needs to clear a significant amount of cap, especially in this flat cap era. Um, and moving a guy like Ben Larson for them makes a whole bunch of sense because the guy, even if he was playing up to his level uh, is not worth the uh, uh, eight, eight uh, a little over eight million that 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 he's worth on an annual basis through i think 2026 so 
makes sense for the Coyotes to want to move him. Last year, didn't get anything done. Um, obviously, getting any trade with the, the Coyotes involving Ekman last time is going to be complicated because you'd have to imagine that whether it was the Bruins or the Canucks, who were the only two teams that uh, Ekman Larson said he'd be okay uh, getting traded to because he has no movement clause. Um, any team trading for him, a whole bunch of different factors go into that because you if you're Arizona, you have to go into it knowing you're going to have to make some concessions, right? Whether it's uh, retaining some of that, that salary or not getting a whole bunch back. You know, if, if Ekman Lawson was signed to four and a half, five million dollars, then you could talk about getting, you know, legitimate, you know, first round pick, a couple of young pieces back. If a team is going to take that contract off your hands, you either have to retain some of it or you're giving him away for, a couple of B-level prospects, second-round pick, something like that. So, obviously, last year didn't get done between the Bruins, Canucks, or the Coyotes. Ekman Larson stayed put, and uh, I imagine that the Coyotes are probably regretting that quite a bit. They didn't get you know sign, you know get him off their books for pennies on the dollar, even because uh, he was Ekman Larson was pretty dreadful last year. Uh, I mean, you you kind of look at uh, Ekman Larson's game and whole bunch to like about him, you know, in terms of if you kind of know the the resume that he's had over his, I think, 11 years in, in Arizona. Uh, guy who will play 21, 22 minutes a night uh, for a long time was a very, very good, uh, you know, generator of offense from the blue line, which uh, you, you look at the Bruins and what they're looking for this offseason. I mean, Cam Neely's talked about it. We've talked about it on this podcast before that um, – the, the the need to get a legitimate, you know, top pairing left shot D, uh, a guy that can average 20 plus minutes a night, generate offense. I mean, from a, a six year stretch for Ekman Larson from 2013 to 2019, the guy averaged 16 and a half goals per season. And it's not like he's just a guy who's just bombing from the blue line. Like he's a, an established playmaker in this league. Um, so from the Bruins perspective and, and kind of circling back, once again, to the surprise of very few, the Coyotes are looking to move Ekman Larson again. Uh, Craig Morgan of AZ Coyotes Insider, who's very well connected down there, said that, you know, once again, Coyotes are exploring trade options for Ekman Larson. Um, and this, this year, I think, especially considering how much last year kind of went off the rails, I think there's a mutual understanding between both parties that, um, you know, I don't think Ekman Larson is going to be as, as picky with where he goes with that no movement clause. So I'm sure he wouldn't be thrilled about going to Winnipeg. Right. But if, if there's another team that um, has a, a good offer, I, I think probably the, the writing is on the wall between Ekman Larson and the Coyotes that maybe a change of scenery is kind of the, 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 the go-to move now at this point, considering how things have gone. So from the Bruins perspective, you know, if you're looking at that change of scenery, you know, maybe he's a guy you take a flyer on because again, we know what Ekman Lassen, who who's 29 years old, um, you know, we, we know what he can bring over his last couple of years. And if he's the guy that is even 85% of what he was during that, you know, 2013 to 2019 stretch, that's great. Right. Uh, especially considering you're probably not going to have to give up uh, the same amount as you'd have to give up for, uh, an Ekholm or a Noah Hannafin or, or one of these other guys where instead of it being, uh, you know, a, a first round pick, you know, DeBrusque and 
Stanika or something like that. Like, I don't think it's going to take that much to get Ekman Lawson off the books, especially if you're taking a, a big chunk of that contract. Um, so if they're, from the Bruins perspective, it's, you know, if there's not a lot of other options out there and you want to find a guy who could be a top pairing left shot D to pair with, you know, McAvoy or even Kahlo, Ekman Lawson has some appeal, right? Uh, and you could kind of frame it the same way as the, the Taylor Hall situation before he got to Boston where, listen, he's a guy whose game is in a rough spot. Uh, he's on a team kind of going nowhere, which it might be. Uh, putting it lightly considering how bad Buffalo was last year. But again, a guy who goes to a city in Boston, um, I think everyone across the league knows kind of the environment that the Bruins and Patrice Bergeron have cultivated here. So maybe fresh start here, uh, different environment. Uh, for Ekman Lawson, you know, the, knowing that he doesn't have to be the guy, right? Like even if he was on this team, he's not the go-to option anymore, right? That That's, Chow, that's Charlie McAvoy now. So maybe you get him and he's, you know, he rebounds and you've got uh, your legitimate, you know, top pairing. I mean, if you have Ekman Larson from even 2019 with McAvoy, that is a, a pretty legit pairing if he lives up to expectations. Um, the issue is, of course, uh, you, you run into a spot where, you compare him to Taylor Hall and, and it makes sense if you want the Bruins to get a guy like OEL, but the difference is that Taylor Hall as bad as, you know, maybe his baseline numbers were and as rough as that Buffalo Sabres team was uh, Taylor Hall, at least you looked at like the underlying metrics and the way he played. And you could see that you put him in a new spot. Like he, he was still a good player. Like his transition numbers were very, very strong. Um, you know, takeaways, uh, were pretty strong, which is kind of a indicator of, I think what we all saw when he was in Boston, which is that his two way game was, uh, pretty slept on. Uh, you know, I think we saw that quite a bit when he got here. Um, and you looked at, you know, Hall's ability, even on a, a bad Buffalo team with not a lot of supporting help to generate high danger chances. You could see that, you know, maybe he's just in a rough spot. Maybe his individual game, if he puts, it puts him in a new spot, he does much better. Um, Ekman Larson, not really the same situation because his individual play was very bad. He was downright dreadful last year. Um, and that's not to say that it's, uh, uh, you can blend it all on just the, the system that, you know, maybe he was in with Rick Tockett early on in the year or the fact that Arizona is kind of a, a ho-hum team. Um, but, you know, there were plenty of other guys on, on that decor for Arizona who had much better seasons. Like Chutrin was uh, really kind of leapfrogged Ekman Larson in, on the depth chart that he's pretty much their go-to top pairing left shot guy now. Uh, he had a great year. So it's not the system in Arizona. It's unfortunately seems like it's more of Ekman Larson's game himself. I mean, if you look at, um, you know, Jay Fresh Hockey at Jay Fresh Hockey does a great job of, I think, creating these player cards that show you where players rank in their percentile amongst uh, other players in their position across the league. And you look at Ekman Lawson. I mean, he last year, 19th percentile and even strength offense amongst defensemen, 12th percent percentile uh, and even strength defense amongst defensemen. Not great. So he's not giving you either one of the things you need, which is offense from the blue line, or at the very least, he's shutting down chances on the other end of the ice. 
uh, the one percentile in power play. So it's not like he's even a, a guy that as much as he has kind of warts in his game, he's still generating stuff on the, on the power play, not having that either. Um, and his quality of competition, he's in the 47th percentile. So it's not like he's this guy who, unfortunately, his, his numbers aren't looking that great because he's averaging, you know, 40% offensive zone faceoffs or, or what have you. It's not like he's kind of, throw, you know, fed to the wolves in that system. He's getting favorable matchups and the Kyrie's getting absolutely hemmed in when he's out there. So, um, you look at Ekman Larson's you know, game and how it's not just trending downwards. I mean, it's plummeted, unfortunately, the last couple of seasons. Um, coupled with the fact that moving, moving him again would be complicated because, you know, you, you're trying to get some salary relief there. So you don't want to take the full eight to five million cap hit that, that uh, Ekman Larson is going to warrant, which is through the 2026, 27 season. So another year on top of that. So, um, from the Bruins where it's not like, you know, Ekman Lawson or, or that left, that left shot D is the, the one main target you have, right? I mean, you can't allocate all that cap hit to, to one guy who's far from a sure thing to, that he's even going to be the guy that you expect him to be. You know, you still got to deal with re-signing David Krejci or Taylor Hall, or you've got to look at uh, the situation where you need probably a, at least another legitimate winger on the third line, whether that's, you know, a Blake Coleman or a, even like a, a Brendan Saad or something like that, if he's available, um, if you want to pay up for it. Uh, you look at, you know, another guy on, you probably need another guy on defense too, whether that's a uh, Alexiak or Jake McCabe or, or someone like that. So a whole bunch of things that Bruins have to take care of. So you're not going to bring in Ekman Larson for 8.25. And even if you get him for 6 million, still a whole lot to pay for, for a guy that might be, far and away on the downward trend of his career. So unless the Bruins want to get creative and, you know, you, you get a situation where the, you move some contracts over, but like the only real bad contract the Bruins have is probably John Moore's, which you, you'll get rid of it. If Arizona wants to take that on for a shorter, shorter term deal, but I don't think you're going to move Charlie Coyle's contract. Cause he's got a no movement clause. I don't think he wants to go to Arizona. Um, Maybe it's something where Arizona would be willing to move a, you know, include a, a sweetener in the deal. So if it's a, a Connor Gallen, maybe, which we've talked about on this podcast before as being a guy that I think the Bruins should target. Young player, kid from Mass, which, apart from the course, right, in terms of what, what the Bruins would be targeting, but a very good young player who I think could be a 2025 goal scorer for a very, very long time in the right situation. So if Arizona wants to include him, Maybe you explore that if it's a bigger deal, um, then then could, you know maybe both sides can get creative and work out a deal. But as of right now, I think you look at even if the Bruins don't trade any trade for any left you know left shot D, and let's say they sign Alexiak and uh, McCabe to a value contract, you add those two guys for probably combined six six point two five million. I think that's probably a better bet than uh, trading for Ekman Lawson and running the risk of, you know, acquiring this guy that is already damaged goods at this point, which at that point, considering the Bruins are in a win now window, you can't afford to have a, a, a whiff like that where a guy that you hope is the answer is by the end of the year, a, a third pairing option at best for you, which might be what Ekman Larson is now. And you add in the cap hit, 
uh, again, just not a good bet. Um, but listen, guys, you know what is a good bet? Getting involved with the fine folks at Bet Online. Because listen up, it's an exciting time of the year around the sports world. The Red Sox are playing. The Celtics uh, are, uh, and, and, yeah, they're they're there, and the Bruins are also there. Uh, but listen, even if you haven't made it back to Fenway just yet, you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. No matter how the schedules change or the players that play, Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you get in on every game this season with the fastest updated odds in the industry. There are always more options to wager than anywhere online, and we even have an exclusive promo code for our loyal listeners. So go to Bet Online and to promo code CLNS50, that's CLNS50, for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. You heard me, a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. No one beats that. Somewhere down the cave, Evan just is chilling at the beach, just said, no one beats that. So you have to believe he's committed to the ad read. So what are you guys waiting for? Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great bonuses, offers, and contests available right now. Again, enter promo code CLNS50, that's C-L-N-S-50, for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. All right, so that is our Oliver Ekman Lassen talk today. Um, again, we'll, we'll see how the situation changes. Maybe there's, we'll get reports of how much the, the Coyotes are willing to eat some of that contract. But as of right now, I think the Bruins should stay clear of any talk involving OEL. Um, so we'll see how that situation changes because I think from now until camp opens in late September, you're going to have a whole bunch of different trade rumors involving the Bruins. So again, plenty to get to this off season. So uh, we'll kind of wrap things up for this pod by going through a few user submitted questions. Uh, so I'm going to just run down the list here, starting with uh, Eddie Ray, who tweeted at us and said, assuming Rask, Krejci, Hall resign for team friendly deals, who are realistic free agents to acquire for the bottom six and defense to turn next season into a true cup contender? Uh, yeah, no, Eddie, I, I agree that, you know, I think the biggest key is going to be re-signing Krejci Hall and probably Rask to to those team-friendly deals. And again, team-friendly is, we'll see kind of what the, the, the numbers are because I think every year we go into the offseason expecting that these guys to sign for cheap but being – kind of pragmatic about it and then they sign for extremely cheap so i don't know if you're getting taylor hall for five and a half million but even if you get him for let's say a five-year 30 million dollar contract i think you'd be extremely happy to get him in that situation um so you look at uh if you're able to sign hall and Krejci, and we'll, we'll say sign rask for right now uh you have to be feeling pretty good about at least your top six like as much as maybe that second line was disappointing in the playoffs I think you're, you'll still be very happy having that, that top six back in the fold. I mean, I think full 82 game season, you, you could look at a, a 30 goal season for a guy like Taylor Hall. You could look at a 50 point, 50 point year for a guy like Craig Smith. So you have to be happy with how that situation could, could turn out. So as for other free agents that the Bruins could target, um, again, we'll see what they do on the trade market, especially on defense, but, I think, you know, two guys that the Bruins should definitely look at have to be uh, Alexiak, who fits the bill. I mean, I'm sure Bruins fans will love a guy like Alexiak anyway because he's 6'7", uh, great shutdown guy. Um, definitely fits the need of what what you need. He's a guy that 
you don't want to say it's built for the postseason because, uh, you know, you're also seeing guys like Cole Caulfield <laughs> be pretty good for Montreal, who is not six seven, but um, he's definitely a guy though that would fix a, a number of issues for this team, uh, just as being another big body, a guy who's proven to be a shutdown guy, a guy who can also generate some offense. So. On defense, if you sign a guy like him and a guy like Jake McCabe, who is coming off a season-ending knee injury, but when he was healthy with Buffalo, was very, very good. You know, a guy who I think is very, very underrated. So if you sign him to a value contract and he becomes, even if he's your third-pairing guy, that's a pretty damn good third-pairing guy, even if he's not the player he was uh, last year, if he's even 90% of that. He's a damn good player, Jake McCabe. So if you're able to get two of those guys added to your decor already, that makes a major impact. And then we'll see what they do for the Bruins in terms of, you know, the fourth line. I could see it being a very much a situation where that's the the pipeline for younger players to kind of cut their teeth. So whether that's Frederick or Cameron Hughes, what have you, uh, I could see more guys added into that mix. Maybe they target a, you know, uh, 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 Matthew Peralta or, or someone like that, like a, a a guy who could go in there. But I think probably they're they're saving most of their money for legitimate, you know, top pairing defenseman or uh, a legitimate guy on that third line. So I think a guy that makes plenty of sense is Blake Coleman. He's going to get paid a lot, a lot more than he was making in years past. But ideally, that's a guy you target, though, right? Um, even if he's maybe going to be on the back end of his career when you sign him to that deal. Um, you need a guy on that third line to pay with Coyle that one can generate offense. I mean, in a full 82 game season, Blake Coleman is a pretty much a lock to be a 15, 20 goal scorer. Um, very good two way player, fast player. Um, I think you need a guy like that on that third line now. Uh, and if not Blake Coleman, you know, whether that's a, a Brandon Saad or, or other Another legitimate guy. You can't go into the year with, I think, a situation where you have a couple of guys that maybe look pretty good. You know, maybe hopefully they break out. You know, maybe maybe they run with Jake DeBrusque again, and he does very well. Uh, I wouldn't put it past them. I think if you move Jake DeBrusque, there's, I think it's going to be a lock. If he goes somewhere else, he's going to score 20 goals. Um, but you know, maybe you put him in on the left side, and all of a sudden you have a guy like Coleman on, on the other side, and, and it works out. But you can't go into the year with two potential unknowns with let's say it's DeBrusque and Richie who Richie had his moments, but still you go into the postseason where he was a bit of a no show or he couldn't keep up with that pace. I think you need to, to get at least one guy on that line with coil. That's a proven legitimate guy. A guy that even could be a, a top six guy, uh, almost like a new, another Craig Smith, right? Where, Best case scenario, probably a third pairing guy, but can play higher up in the lineup if needed. You need a guy like that to really drive that, help drive that third line. So, uh, yeah, I would look at definitely Alexiak, uh, McCabe, I think is definitely a guy that you get just in terms of what the potential return could be. And then I think you need a, le- a legitimate, you know, not another like a Akasha or something where it's a guy who maybe has injury concerns or a guy that you hope does well. You need a, a legitimate 20 goal guy that that could really help drive that third line you can't really have any more half measures considering this team's win now window um going through another question uh steven duty uh says uh two questions how are you so consistently awesome thanks steven and his second question is which bruin will get claimed in the expansion draft um so steven i think you're looking at most likely a situation where seattle will target 
one of the Bruins' young defensemen. Uh, I've heard a lot of people mention, you know, leaving a guy like DeBrusque unprotected, which I understand DeBrusque is a, a polarizing player, but I think that's just dreadful asset management if you're the Bruins, if you're just going to let a guy like DeBrusque walk. And I understand maybe you let him walk because you want to just get his contract off the books, but even if you trade him for pennies on the dollar, whether it's, you know, draft capital or another potential project or, or what have you, I, that's a better way of managing your assets than just giving him away to Seattle where, again, if you move him, I would not be surprised if in another situation, he's back to being a 20 goal scorer. Like, I don't think you let a guy like that go just for the sake of letting him go or just because he had a very, very bad year last year. So um, in terms of guys that Seattle would target, I think you have to be prepared for most likely one of either Clifton or Lozon to, to get scooped up. I think as much as they may not be flashy acquisitions, if you're a team like Seattle and you can get a guy like Clifton or Lozon who at the very least signed to a very affordable deal with term and a guy who you can pencil in as being your, your third pairing guy for a couple of years. If you're Seattle and you're just getting those basic building blocks, there's value in those guys. So I imagine they're going to look at guys like Lozon and Clifton. Maybe Richie, I imagine the Bruins will leave him unprotected. But if you're Seattle, I don't know if you want to be the team that is going to be handing him that payday that he's going to get this this offseason. So I'm going to go into it expecting probably one of Clifton or Lozon to get scooped up in a, in a move like that. So, Which further reinforces the need that uh, that you need to, to bolster that decor. Because you're probably losing one of those two younger players. Uh, we have uh, another uh, message from Jimmy who uh, wants to know at, at Crowther underscore Jimmy, uh, ideal six defensemen next year, game one. Well, lock and change there. Um, I would say probably I'll go much more of a, a measured take uh, because who knows what's going to happen in terms of the trade market. I don't know if Nashville wants to move a guy like at Colm. I don't know if, uh, Calgary wants to move a guy like Hannafin, who had a really good rebound year, I think, when he was with, I believe he was with was Tanev, I want to say. He, he he had a really strong year for Calgary, so I don't know if they want to move him. So I'll, I'll be a little bit less uh, less dramatic, I guess, with how how we view the, the decor. So, But if you're the Bruins and you sign Alexiak and McCabe and then maybe just another depth piece on the right side, um, so if it's, you know, uh, Yanni Hakampa, who, uh, is, you know, a guy who's, you know, six, five, two Oh seven on the right side. Um, I don't know if he's your third pairing guy, but if even if he's your depth guy, that's you're in a better spot than you had before. So whether it, you know, let, let's say for the sake of it, uh, top pair at home, uh, not at home, uh, Alexiak and McAvoy is your top pair, which, Great shutdown option. Uh, McAvoy is still going to drive that pairing. Second pair, Grizzly Kahlo, which uh, the Bruins used quite a bit last year. It was kind of an interesting uh, mix between those two guys because kind of very different players, kind of like Krug and Kahlo, but they were kind of the Bruins shutdown option for a while. The Bruins gave them a lot of tough minutes and they did pretty well. I mean, Kahlo, when he's healthy, is a great shutdown guy. And Grizzly, as much as he's a smaller player, is pretty adept at getting out of those D-zone stats if he's moving the puck with authority. So could see that being a very, very effective second pair. Then if your third pairing is, uh, you know, let's say it's McCabe and Hockenpah, or if Clifton isn't claimed, pretty good third pairing. You know, a lot of thump uh, on that on that third pair. McCabe, who I think, if he was healthy, he'd be getting – 
three and a half, four million to be a legitimate second pairing guy. Like McCabe's a legit player who plays the game hard, uh, effective player. Um, so that's who I'll go with right now. We'll see how the trade market kind of pans out, who could be out there. Um, but in terms of maybe being a bit conservative of just focusing maybe more on the free agent market, I think those could be guys that the Bruins could target that they may not be all totally flashy. It's not like a, you know, Jamie Alexiak, as much as he's a big guy, isn't a, a, a game changer. I think those guys all make a sizable difference uh, for the Bruins team, especially when compared to what their decor was last year. Um, we got another one from Chris Mahoney. who says, if Bergeron's career ended today, does he make the Hockey Hall of Fame on his first ballot? Uh, I think it's slam dunk, Chris. Uh, I think as much as it seems like some uh, media people are not uh, going to give him that fifth Selkie uh, to pass Ganey, um, which is unfortunate because uh, as much as, you know, Barkov and Stone were both very, very good this year. And, uh, you know, Barkov has definitely been uh, building towards getting a Selkie for the first time in his career. Uh, Bergeron's, Inclusion as a finalist this year wasn't just off, off reputation. Like he was, he was particularly dominant this year, especially in his own zone. So it's unfortunate that he didn't get uh, uh, that fifth Selkie this season. Um, got left off, I think, 11 ballots, which is another. We'll save that one maybe for when Evan is here and we can kind of riff on the, the 11 riders who left Bergeron off the ballot. But in terms of just Bergeron's body of work, um, I think he's a slam dunk, uh, and arguably the best two way center in the, in, in the league. I mean, the guy you could make the Eggman could have had six or seven Selkies. You add that with Stanley cup playoff performances, uh, just his overall production, um, out there on the ice. I, I think he's a slam dunk. I would be, I'd be very shocked if he's not a first ballot guy. And if he isn't, then whoever's maybe voting for the Selkie is also one's, you know, leading that. Cause I, I, I mean, I think he's but of a sure bet as, as you, as you can get out there. Um, we got one from Aaron Thompson who says, how much should we worry about a possible OEL deal? Uh, we obviously covered that early on in the pod, but uh, Aaron, I, I wouldn't be concerned about it because uh, again, I think there's so much stuff working against a deal like that working out between the Bruins, especially I think flatline, even if the OEL was salvageable, I think you look at the Bruins cap situation and how many different fires they have to put out in the lineup, unless, you know, Arizona is giving him up for, and they're eating, you know, two thirds of that contract. The Bruins can't take on a guy like OEL, who um, is going to take up a, a big portion of the remaining cap hit this, this offseason. There's far too many other things they need to do. And they're not going to bring in a guy like OEL when getting him limits you from getting, let's say a, uh, Alexiak or especially, you know, uh, a Blake Coleman or someone like that uh, on the bottom six. So I wouldn't be too concerned about it. We'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that changes. But for right now, I think there's too many factors working against a deal like that if you're the Bruins. Um, and Aaron also adds, with nearly essentially affirming that they botched the 2015 draft, has the organization done anything to improve their draft and developing resources? So definitely there's been plenty of new faces there since then. Um I think obviously you have to be uh, concerned one as much as we hate probably talking about the 2015 draft. It's going to just continue to loom over this franchise, especially as we get to the kind of the, the doldrums of the post Bergeron era where ideally you'd have that second wave supporting this current core. Um, whether that's again, we don't have to go through the names, uh, but plenty of guys on that first round that even if they're not franchise players, 
would be making a sizable difference on this team now. So um, they've obviously changed some uh, plenty of names in the organization since 2015, as most franchises do over that stretch of time. Um, but I, I think the biggest thing now is just addressing moving forward, just how to best tie it. So uh, best target younger players in the draft. So this draft is going to be key for them. It's not really a, a loaded draft in terms of top tier talent, but considering how many cancellations and uh, issues there were because of COVID across not just the NCAA, but you know, juniors and uh, overseas, you could have kind of a, an odd draft this year where a lot of guys, maybe scouts weren't able to see in person that much drop further down the list. Like you could have some legitimate, uh, you know, diamonds in the rough that fall later in the first round. There could be guys that we look back on a few years from now in the second, third rounds to be like, how did that guy drop so far? Um, so for the Bruins, there could be plenty of value found in the 20th overall pick, which they have. I imagine you have to probably look at targeting center again, uh, as much as the Bruins have, tra- have drafted a lot of centers over the last couple of years, Stanika and Frederick and Beecher and all these guys. I think you still have to keep on going at it because, until you get another legitimate, you know, top six center, uh, you're going to be staring at a pretty tough situation if you're the Bruins in the next couple of years. So would not be surprised. They look at a lot of uh, guys down the middle in this upcoming draft. Um, we got another one from Andrew Gray. I keep hearing of who we don't want to get as a big left defenseman, OEL and Hannafin, who is available that fits. Um, so yeah, we'll see how the trade market pans out. Uh, Hannafin, I think is a very good left shot. Uh, D, a guy who could be a top pairing guy. He's not really a super physical guy, even though he's a bigger body. Um, I think probably the guy that makes the most sense if you're looking at kind of checking off all of what Neely was focusing on, which is, you know, 20 plus minutes a night, shut down, generating offense. Uh, Ekholm makes the most sense there. Uh, veteran guy, proven playoff performer. Uh, guy plays a bunch of minutes, big body, 6'3", I think. Uh has been very good at generating offense from the blue line. So he's a guy I think that checks off all the boxes. It's just going to be whether or not Nashville is ready to move on from him. Uh, you know, they they could be stuck in a different, a difficult situation in the coming years with guys like Fulsburg hitting free agency. So maybe this is the year they accelerate kind of the rebuild that's on the way and, and move a guy like Ekholm if he's not in their plans long-term, but we'll see what happens there. Um, and so the guys that they could maybe get, um, you know, whether it's uh, someone that Seattle picks up they want to make a trade with. Uh could see a guy like Vince Dunn getting moved, even though I like Vince Dunn. I think he's a good player, but he's not. I could see them getting a guy like Vince Dunn and Bruins fans not being thrilled because Vince Dunn's, I think, six feet. Now they're more of maybe more of a playmaking guy, but pretty solid in his own zone. But I feel like if you don't get one of these bigger bodies like, uh, like uh, Alexiak or even a McCabe, a lot of people are going to be up in arms. So we'll see what they do, but... Echo makes the most sense. It's just going to be whether or not Nashville wants to move him at this point, uh, which they didn't do last year. And who knows how this Bruins playoff run would have changed if Ekholm was available and they swung for the fences and got him because he is a legitimate top pairing guy that could impact a lot of teams uh, decors if he was available. Um, and then we will wrap up with uh, John Simmons, Jr., who says three questions. Will the Bruins be active in free agency? Or will they be pedestrian like they have been in years past? Uh, I expect them to be very active, John. Um, I think, especially the writings on the wall, that you probably have one year, maybe, maybe two years left of legitimate contention. So 
as I said earlier, this, you can't do half measures at this point. Um, you need to get at least one or two defensemen out there, whether that's trade or free agency. And I think you need to spend big and get a guy like Coleman, even if it's an overpay. Uh, those guys make the world a difference. As much as people want to talk about uh, teams like the Blues and how they outmuscled the Bruins, you look at the Blues, you look at Tampa Bay, you look at even a team like Montreal this year. Uh, one thing they all have in common, they all have depth, and they all have multiple lines that can kill you. Uh, even look at the Islanders, uh, where they've got their bottom six are producing. Uh, you can't get through the gauntlet of a, a playoff, uh, a push without having all four lines being rolling, rolling out all four lines and having them contributing. So for the Bruins, I think the writing's on the wall, you know what the flaws are and you know how to address this, these issues. So it's going to involve spending big, but I think you have to do it this free agency. There's no other real option unless you want to be stuck in this perpetual second round exit for the next year or two until eventually you have to blow it all up. So I think it's the only option. And I think they're probably cognizant of the fact that that needs to be done. Um, another question from John, who should the Bruins try to let go and why is it Jake DeBrusque? Uh, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting case. What happens with DeBrusque again, I'm not moving him for the sake of just moving him because I still think there's value there as much as it's probably shot as terms of, you know, moving him in a trade, but, um, it's definitely going to be a, a tough situation for the Bruins because, perfect world you'd like to have him back let's say you have him back on the left side with coil maybe he rebounds maybe in the post-covid world where he's you know not stuck in a a hotel room he he gets back to you know enjoying going to the rink and his game rebounds and he becomes the 20 goal scorer that i think we all know he can be but if they decide that maybe a fresh start is the best move for everyone then you're probably moving him for far from what his probably actual value is so Tough situation with the Bruins to, to weigh there in terms of what they do, but uh, I would say probably his standing right now is pretty unsteady in terms of whether you can expect him back uh, out there again for the Bruins next season. Um, and then final question for John is, what's your favorite regular season game you've been to and why? It's a good question. There's a whole bunch of them. Um, we've looked out and we've had obviously quite a few great games, a lot of great playoff games. Like I would probably say – the game one against the Islanders in this past round was probably the, the most memorable game I've ever been to. You know, obviously the garden's been very, very loud for, um, you know, Stanley cup final in 2019, the char ovation in game five. But I think probably the significance of, of that first game with all the fans back, how friggin' loud it was. Uh, I've never heard a, a building that loud in my life. Um, and the significance I think of that of just, the first sign of things being back to normal. Uh, that was probably the most memorable game I've ever been to. Uh, regular season, quite a few good ones from that, uh, that 2019, the 2018-19 season. Uh, you know, they had the, the, those few late comebacks. They had that great third period comeback against the Panthers and they had one against the Ottawa Senators, I think a few days later. Those games were crazy. Uh, they had the game, I think it was 2019, November the crew game where they came back and tied the game late against the wild. And then crew did his uh, Frank, the tank celebration on the OT goal. And that game was great. So there's a whole bunch of different options, even games where they've lost. I think the last game, last home game before the pandemic, the, the lightning game where there was like, I think five or six fights. I think it was like a five, three final uh, that felt like a, a legitimate playoff game. And then of course we didn't get fans in the sands for uh, 14, 15 months. Uh, after that. So that was another one that comes to mind. So there's a whole bunch that have uh, 
I've been lucky enough to see in person since I've been on the beat, but those are a few of those that stand out. So, um, yeah, those are all the, the user submitted questions we have, uh, for this week. Again, thank you guys all for, uh, submitting those plenty of great stuff to talk about. Um, and that kind of wraps up, uh, episode 49 of, uh, the poke the bear podcast. Um, obviously next week, uh, you guys can be uh, certain that, it will not just be me shouting into the void uh, or rambling uh, as maybe this one might've been. Um, Evan will be back next week and we'll be able to riff a bit more on, I'm sure probably more OEL talk and kind of just the next step for this Bruins team. Cause as I said, leading off, we've got a bit of a long way to go before we get to, um, to, to the actual tangible news of the off season. So we'll have plenty more stuff. Uh, if you want to follow uh, my work over at bostonsportsjournal.com, subscribe there. Uh, we have plenty of stuff breaking down, uh, you know, Ekman Larson and some other offseason narratives. So uh, follow us over there and we'll be back next week for another more normal episode of Poke the Bear podcast. So thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>